We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bearport and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman. And I'm happy to, of course, be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. We are recording this episode on Monday, May 9th. And, you know, it's starting to enter that point in the offseason where we had rookie minicamp this past week for the Bears. Um, But other than some OTAs coming up, it's starting to enter that quiet time of the offseason with the draft done and everything, all all the chaos ensued uh, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, before we get into the topic of today's episode, Yusei, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. You're right. Slow point of the offseason is certainly here. So, I mean, I know the Bears just wrapped up rookie minicamp. The 16th, I believe, is when the entire roster kind of meets at Hallis Hall for OTAs. That'll be a week-long thing. couple days in June, too, which is offseason workouts. And then come around mid-June, it's going to be kind of that five, six-week break before kind of that final week of July where the Bears are going to be reporting to Hallis Hall for training camp. Yeah, when we get to July, that's going to be the true offseason where nothing is going to be going on except bad news, which you hope does not happen with the Bears here, of course. But um, in regards to what's going on right now, we're still in the mode of recapping uh, this latest 2022 NFL draft. In our last episode, uh, we went over the Bears draft and graded every single pick as well as their draft as a whole, gave our thoughts on what we how we thought the Bears did um, in, in the 2022 draft. And I thought overall, while – uh, both of us were kind of a little bit down on the fact that the Bears didn't really add as much talent to the offense as we hoped they would. Um, I, I think we both see that this, ba- this Bears team, they added a couple of starters here. They added some uh, guys with high upside on day three, and we'll just see what happens there. Now, there was a lot that happened on draft weekend that uh, we have to get through here, and I think that's going to be the main topic for today in terms of instead of just focusing on the Bears, focusing on the rest of the NFL draft and going over some of the major storylines that happened uh, last weekend I mean it was a or not last yeah last weekend I think it was but it, it was you know just a a lot a lot of things went down especially on in the first round of this draft and there's just a ton of that I wanted to talk about here so that's going to be the focus for uh, today's episode recapping everything as much as we can about what happened in this latest 2022 draft and uh, let's just get into it right here with I think one of the major storylines um as this is something we talked about a lot going into this thing well, about what the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to do at number one overall, you know, would they go with an offensive tackle to protect Trevor Lawrence and Evan Neal? Uh, would they go with an edge rusher and Hutchinson came on Thibodeau were considered to be the best players on the board for edge rushers in this draft class. Would they maybe even go cornerback uh, with a guy like Derek Stingler and Mod Gardner uh, as top prospects here. And they did end up going edge rusher here. And this was something that was rumored for quite a while before the draft that, uh, general manager for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trent Baalke, really, really liked Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. Uh, Walker just had an historic combine in terms of athletic testing. Every single measurable 
for measuring an edge rusher and um, projecting how edge rushers translate to the NFL level in terms of how they work out. Trayvon Walker fit the bill for every single one and then some. Like this guy is literally like the perfect athletic prospect for an edge rusher, but production never there at Georgia. And um, this was fascinating because we kind of knew it was going to happen, but I think everyone had the same sense of, okay, this would be a major reach for the Jaguars here, considering Walker was not a huge, uh, did not have a ton of production at Georgia. He's very raw as a pass rusher. There were some better edge rushers, I think, on the board that could give the Jaguars day one impact. But, you know, the Jaguars clearly going for the upside pick here. What were your thoughts on the Jaguars kicking off this draft by, I wouldn't say making a surprise selection here, but certainly making a puzzling one here with Trayvon Walker, number one overall. Yeah, I would say this is interesting because I remember a couple, you know, days and weeks before the draft, the Jags actually opted to bring back offensive tackle Cam Robinson, inking him to, I believe, what was a three-year deal. And at that point, in my mind, it kind of became solidified. Okay, Evan Neal, you know, Ike McWanu, these guys sound great. But also, at the end of the day, if you were investing that much money, because I think it was like a three- or four-year deal into – cam robinson then it really makes me think it's going to be edge rusher at number one overall and you know again let's be honest about something i mean the jaguars pretty much use free agency to continue to overhaul the offensive side of the ball just so they could go ahead and focus on defense in this draft now you look at trayvon walker i think as a prospect and you hit on a lot of it so i'm not even going to repeat it was not the biggest guy in terms of production at georgia especially for i think what was the bank best ranked defense in the country last year then you ultimately look at something too i mean a lot of people going into the nfl draft and i remember just take it back two to three years people thought this draft was going to be the cave on thibodeau draft it can still be the cave on thibodeau draft but aiden hutchinson's another guy that came along and so you know this pick i think was just all about do you go with the high risk high reward type player in trayvon walker or do you go with a more proven product like an Aiden Hutchinson or a Kayvon Thibodeau? And, you know, for me personally, I mean, I do think that Kayvon Thibodeau and Hutchinson are going to have better careers than Trayvon Walker just because, you know, you can be a great athlete, but it might not always translate over to the NFL. And I think that, unfortunately, for Jacksonville, I mean, they don't necessarily have the front seven, you know, or I would say even the defensive line that's in front of a player like Trayvon Walker to really help him make that day one impact. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's, it's just fascinating because clearly the Jaguars are going off the upside play here. They're looking at this guy and saying, okay, this guy is literally a freak of nature. We've never seen other than maybe like Miles Garrett or Genevieve Cloudy, you know, we've, we haven't seen these, this type of an athlete at the edge rusher position in, quite a while here and and I I think they're banking on um, the fact that they think they can develop this guy into a premier edge rusher and teach him the tools or give them the tools of how to rush the pass or teach him the proper technique uh, how to put together a rush plan all these things that Walker never really had at Georgia and I get it some some of that was the role that he played it he kind of played a run support first role where he was asked to you know two gap a little bit set the edge and then uh, make a play on the back or the quarterback if he scrambled outside the pocket like that's kind of what his role was at Georgia most of his production in terms of getting sacks was off of you know skiing up pressures um, you know plays where he was you know in a stunt and he kind of came off free because Georgia has so many other great defensive linemen that require attention you know they're going to take away attention from a guy like Trayvon Walker who is going to be the better factor of some of these studs um, here and there and some of the type of pressure packages they put together um, you know, but Walker is still a ways away from being, I think, a impact pass rusher at the next level. It's why I thought he was a late first round pick at best, because um, this guy is just not ready to start right away, or at least not ready to make an immediate impact right away. And it could take him some time. And the biggest fear I have for the Jacksonville Jaguars here is, you know, it shows, I think, a lack of self-awareness for what they are as an organization. Like, when have they ever... Um, been able to prove that they're an organization that can develop talent like this and take a guy with that is so as raw as Trayvon Walker and develop him into a successful player but like, they've never been able to do that like they're their best draft picks they usually are guys that are just you know 
we knew going into the draft, we're going to be good players for them. Like Jalen Ramsey, that was a slam dunk. Like, duh. Like everyone knew Jalen Ramsey going into the draft was going to be a stud at the next level. That turned out to be the case. Um, you know, that's, they, they rare, whenever they take swings at this, they, it usually turns out to be very bad for them. I look at like Luke Jokel, for instance, offensive tackle pick, uh, I think in the 2013 NFL draft, that didn't work out for them, obviously. Um, you know, they take swings on these guys with a lot of athleticism, a lot of upside, and it just doesn't pan out. And even the latest, you know, tackles, they haven't shown that they've done a really good job, um, I think, of evaluating the edge rusher position. I should say, I should say edge rusher position. You know, Caleb on chase on, he was another guy. They took a swing on a guy with a ton of upside out of LSU, riding high off that 2019 national championship season. He's done absolutely nothing in the two years that he's been there uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Josh Allen hasn't developed into, I think, um, the, the type of impact player that they maybe thought they were getting uh, when they picked him in the top 10, uh, I believe, of the 2019 draft. I believe it was. I think it was the same year that Rashawn Gary was in that draft for the Packers. So I think it was 2019. But um, regardless, I, they haven't proven that they can take these athletic, I would say, I, I guess, projects in here at the edge spot. They haven't been able to prove that they can develop these guys properly. And I don't know if that's an organizational issue. I don't know if that's an issue of coaching. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau um, are much more of a sure thing, I think, especially Aiden Hutchinson, while he doesn't have the highest upside of these edge rushers, you know what you're getting out of Aiden Hutchinson. You know he's going to come in and bring you some sort of an impact right away. And, you know, if you're going to be, you have this franchise quarterback potentially in Trevor Lawrence, you know, if you're not going to support him uh, with, you know, talent to surround him and put him in a better position to succeed, get a guy in here that can make an immediate impact for you. And I didn't think that was the case here with what they did selecting Trayvon Walker, number one. Now you mentioned Kayvon Thibodeau, um, you know, dropping and the fact that we were talking about this draft before the season as maybe being the Kayvon Thibodeau draft because he was considered the top prospect going into the 2022 draft and going to the 2021 season for college football. Obviously, but that didn't turn out to be the case. You know, a lot of teams did not see that, um, obviously, because he dropped the number five here. But I think the biggest winners here of the first round here in this draft had to be the New York Giants getting Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau uh, at seven and five, respectively, here. Obviously, Thibodeau going first. Um, so the Giants here, I thought they played this really well. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau falls into their lap at five. Uh, you know, all the offensive tackles were on the board at that point. Evan Neal, uh, Ikemekwanu. Charles Cross. So they knew they were, they were going to get at least one of those guys at seven. So they take the freaky edge rusher, Kalen Thibodeau first, uh, take the play on a guy that a swing on a guy that again, was considered going into the 2021 college football season as the top prospect in this draft class, they get him at five and then they arguably get the best player in this draft. Um, we look at Evan Neal here, at least maybe the best left tackle in this draft when you look at him. Um, I, I think Evan is going to play right tackle, obviously, because they have Andrew Thomas there at left tackle, but that goes without saying. I think the Giants, they, they play this really well here, getting both of these guys at five and seven, respectively. And uh, I don't know what your thoughts here are, are about those two picks you say, but in terms of what the Giants did in, in round one, they knocked this draft out of the park. Yeah, so let's go ahead and start with Evan Neal here. I think the key thing to understand is that Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, was at Alabama in the late 2010s. And so ultimately, you kind of saw that connection there. So every time someone would ask me, hey, what do you think the New York Giants are going to do? I said, watch out for Alabama OT, Evan Neal, because you could certainly see him being either the fifth or the seventh overall pick. And then you look at Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, again, I, I still think Kayvon Thibodeau is one of the top edge rushers in this class. Uh, and I think top just overall players, I think that, you know, he primarily slipped for all the way to number five for two reasons. Number one, the Lions were big believers in Aiden Hutchinson because he just played right there in their backyard. And then you look at third and fourth overall. I mean, the Texans went ahead and took Derek Singley Jr. just because they wanted a blue chip player that they felt was an ideal scheme fit for former Bears head coach Lovey Smith. You look at Sauce Gardner. I mean, the Jets have not had a legitimate presence at the cornerback position since Darrell Rivas left town. And so that's kind of what contributed to Kayvon falling 
all the way to fifth overall. Now, in terms of this Giants team, I mean, that seventh overall pick, I think a lot of people forget, is actually the Bears' original pick that Chicago traded in 2021 for the rights to move up and draft Justin Fields. Now, you know, you look at this Giants offensive line, and you mentioned Andrew Thomas. I mean, Andrew Thomas, you know, drafted in 2020, he had certainly had his ups and downs the first two seasons, but it's tough to say, is he really one of the bookend offensive tackles for this class because I'm sorry for the Giants offensive line because I mean if we're going to be honest with ourselves about something you know Andrew Thomas like I said he did struggle okay and you know there's no guarantee that some of his some of his development's been stunted but there's also no guarantee that this new Giants regime and Joe Shane and Brian Dable are even major believers and what Andrew Thomas can bring to the table. Now, I think with Evan Neal overall, you know, they're finally getting kind of that blue chip offensive tackle that they've needed to protect Daniel Jones's blind side. And I would say the quarterback of the future moving too, just because I don't think Daniel Jones is necessarily the future in New York. I think that, you know, the Giants declining his fifth year option kind of just shows that next offseason when it does come to Bryce Young and possibly even Jaden Daniels as well as CJ Stroud, the Giants are going to be in the running for those guys too. But, you know, you just overall look at the Giants draft class. I mean, this was all about, I think, accumulating as many picks as possible and then really going ahead and seeing, you know, what pans out. But so much, I think, of this draft class for you, New York, relies on the first two picks in Thibodeau and Neal. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I'm looking at this offensive line right now from the Giants. I mean, certainly it's a lot, but it's in a much better place compared to where they were at last year, where they had one of the worst units in football. And that's why they had the worst offense in football, or at least one of the many reasons why they had the worst offense in football. Um, you look at this thing, Andrew Thomas, I think he made, I mean, he had to, has had some ups and downs uh, early in his career, especially in that rookie season. But I think he made a huge jump last year. Um, he, he's shown that he's got a lot of, a lot of promise here to be a stud left tackle for them. I think you feel good about him on that left side, um, protecting Daniel Jones and whoever the next quarterback here is, uh, is blindside. They go out and they sign Mark Lewinsky, a solid guard um, in free agency, filling that right guard spot. And then Evan Neal, he'll slide, Evan Neal here slides in at right tackle. You have Matt Pure as a developmental uh, swing tackle for you. So this offensive line, I mean, center and guard and left guard are still some question marks for them, but I think they can fill those positions in. Um, pretty quite pretty easily here and for you there are some guys out there that they could uh, take a swing on to fill those roles uh, but overall I mean the Giants I, I think they did a nice job here uh, in the first round the rest of the drafts was so so for them but in terms of getting immediate impact they're certainly doing that here with these first two picks of Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau now moving on later on in the first round here there was a ton of activity uh, in in this draft in general, uh, a ton of trades. It, it seemed like every other pick, some team was wheeling and dealing, and we certainly saw that in terms of the wide receiver market in this draft. It was ridiculous what was going on at wide receiver. Like early and often, these guys are flying off the board. Teams were making bold trades to move wide receivers, proven wide receivers. Um, you know, I, I feel like the top ten, it was it went pretty much how we thought it would go uh, in terms of you get Walker going to number one in Jacksonville. I think every single team in the top 10 outside of Jacksonville did a really well, good work there. And at least all 10 teams feel good about what they did. You have, you know, Walker going one, you got Hutchinson two, Gardner, well, I should say Stingley and Gardner three and four to 
Houston and New York, respectively. Obviously, we talked about the New York Giants, but Carolina um, choosing not to go with the quarterback here, which we'll get to later, to get uh, Ike McQuanu, uh to play left tackle for them. And then you get to the Atlanta Falcons. You know, they get Drake London at eighth overall. Charles Cross goes nine to Seattle. Garrett Wilson goes off the board at 10. And this is where we saw the run on wide receivers really start to heat up here. So obviously London and Williams, or not Williams, Garrett Wilson go off the board here. Um, teams started to get really active here in this draft class. And, and it started with the New Orleans Saints training up to pick 11 uh, with the Washington uh, commanders to go up and get Chris Olave. Um, you know, interesting trade for them because they gave up a bunch of draft picks in general just to get an additional first round pick. And then they trade up again. I mean, this is classic saints where they basically just do whatever they can to get a player. They like, they go up and get Chris Olave third wide receiver off the board. And then the very next pick, we have a trade within the division there with the Vikings trading down all the way from 12 to 32 with the Detroit lions in what was probably one of the worst trades of the entire drafts from the Vikings side of things. Um, you know, giving up because the Lions, they traded away 32 and 34. So that's a lot there, but the Vikings, they give them 12, they give them 46. So basically the Lions in order to move up 20 spots, moved down like 10 spots in the second round and gave up a third round pick to go up and get arguably the most dynamic weapon in this draft class. And, and that's Jameson Williams, who is recovering from an ACL injury, but has a ton, a ton of game breaking talent here. Um, just some wild trades going on. And then that didn't stop. We had more activity going on here in the first round and not just in terms of wide receivers getting drafted. We have proven veteran wide receivers on the move here. Uh, first, it starts with the Eagles trading the number 18th overall pick to the Tennessee Titans for AJ Brown um, and then getting him a massive extension for $25 million per year over four years. Um, crazy trade, uh, really a, a great trade for the Eagles there. Uh, and the Titans using it to get Traylon Burks. And then later on at 23rd overall, the Ravens, uh, in one of the most shocking trades, because uh, A.J. Brown, uh, we kind of knew that that was kind of in the works there where, you know, Tennessee, they're up against the cap right now. They have a lot of money tied up with a bunch of different veteran players, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They had to make a decision here on A.J. Brown. Are we going to pay this guy top of the market money or are we going to move him and get a premium draft pick here because he's going into the final year of his deal on his rookie contract and they decided to deal him. That was all well good. I did not see Marcus Brown getting traded here whatsoever as the Ravens swing Brown, moving him from Hollywood Brown to the Arizona Cardinals for the 23rd overall pick in exchange for a third round pick as well from the Ravens. I mean, the Ravens getting a ton of value off of Hollywood Brown there, who has had a nice career so far, but I don't, I don't know if he's on the same level of an AJ Brown where it's worth a first round pick like that. So a, a lot of crazy movements in the first round for a lot of these trades. Um, what were your thoughts on the wide receiver mania going on here at the top of this draft? All right, so let me say this for the record. I think when you look at the first two rounds of this draft in the context of wide receivers, is that every wide receiver that there was consensus first round grade on from Drake London all the way down to the last wide receiver drafted in round one, which would have been Traylon Burks, went in round one. When you look at round two, every wide receiver that had a second round grade on them Outside of, I want to say, Wandale Robinson and Tyquan Thornton that went to the Giants at 43 and the Patriots at 50th overall had second round grades. And by the way, I thought that in terms of the different tiers and grades, you know, you had Sky Moore, Alec Pierce, George Pickens, John Mechie and Christian Watson, that handful of guys right there that were all second-round picks. But, you know, you look at the biggest reach in this draft at the wide receiver position was, I thought, Jahan Dotson, who actually ended up going 16th overall to the Washington Commanders. I think that, obviously, there was much better talent on the board. But also, if you're a team like the Commanders, I mean, you just lost Brandon Sheriff to the Jacksonville Jaguars this offseason. So why would you not have gone and kind of overhauled the offensive line there and gone with a pick like a Trevor Penning or a Linderbaum or a Zion Johnson. But then also, you know, when you do look at it, like 
the one that sticks out to me more than anything, I think the one that really significantly shook this draft up was the Titan selection of Traylon Burks because that essentially was a layered move. You had the Eagles, right, who had traded out of that spot essentially for the rights to go ahead and grab AJ Brown, ink him to an extension. And then the Titans traded into seven, or I'm sorry, 18th overall to go ahead and basically draft Traylon Burks, who a lot of people did have comps to AJ Brown, including some guys at NFL Network. But the reason that sticks out more than anything to me is because you basically, I think, got the same player. Now, I do think AJ Brown's a bit better of an athlete, but, you know, we heard rumors and stuff, I think, the morning after round one, saying that the Packers were one of the teams that were in conversations to move up for Traylon Burks, but unfortunately, they didn't get it done. Now, why they didn't get it done is simply because I think the Packers have operated on this philosophy of, oh, yeah, we're going to be willing to move up and down the draft board over the last couple of years, but we're not going to give up too much draft capital, which, again, there's, I think, a fine line between overpaying for a player and just significantly moving up and giving up excess draft capital and actually making the move up to go grab a player that you think can really help your team right now. And I think Traylon Burks would have been that wide receiver for um, Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, you just look at the draft. I mean, and someone brought this up to me the day after the draft, but look at, you know, 10, 11, 12. I mean, Wilson, Olave, Jamison, Williams, those are three players right there who are all from Ohio State. Williams, of course, is from Alabama, but he started off at Ohio State. But I think, you know, the New York Jets selection of Garrett Wilson really sticks out here to me just because it is a continuous effort to go and surround Zach Wilson who again really struggled last year just surround him with the talent needed and you know I think that Wilson is going to have a pretty decent career I'm sorry yeah Garrett Wilson's going to have a pretty decent career Zach Wilson on the other hand I think is really to be determined but I think overall just everything we expected out of the wide receiver position kind of came now I will say one final point about the receivers here is that Drake London being the first one off the board I think you could argue it is a bit of a surprise just because yeah Drake London's this big bodied wide receiver he's a pretty solid route runner pretty good yards after the catch guy but I don't think that London is as dynamic of a prospect compared to a guy such as an Olave a Wilson or James you know, a Jameson Williams. But then again, you know, I think that when you look at Atlanta's selection of Drake London, again, that's a team that didn't necessarily have a lot of draft capital, right? They had, I think, the norm, which is whatever, six or seven picks. But ultimately for Atlanta, this was more about knowing that, okay, Julio Jones is gone. Calvin Ridley has been banned for basically a year for placing bets on NFL games, which means that, you know, we need a wide receiver to kind of help Marcus Mariota and then Desmond Ritter as well, who they got later on. And so they had to maximize the value of that first round selection by going with Drake London. Yeah, let's just walk through every single every single one of these first round guys here, because I think it makes a lot of sense. You can make a lot of sense for each one of these guys for every single team, even though I disagree with some of the selections here or the process of how these, these teams got these guys. So, I mean, you start with London. I, I think it's very interesting. The Falcons, obviously, they had, they had one of the worst uh, wide receiver rooms in the NFL before th this draft, and they still have one of the worst uh, receiver rooms in the NFL, even with the, the selection of Drake London, even though I think London has a lot of upside to be the guy for them next to Kyle Pitts. But I think it was very interesting how they're building this thing because Arthur Smith, the uh, head coach for uh, the Falcons, you know, obviously they brought him over from the Tennessee Titans where he got, you know, to work with A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry. Um, Corey Davis was another guy that they got to work with. Basically, all these guys that have freakish physical traits and Drake London kind of fits that as well. He's just this big physical presence you know, he, on the outside for USC throughout his college career. Now, I thought it was very interesting how Arthur Smith, he specifically talked about how he thinks Drake London can be a monster in the slot um, as a slot receiver. And I think that's very interesting because I think he's kind of tipping his hand of how he plans to use Drake London at, at the next level. Because thing about this here, I mean, Cal Pitts, while he's a tight end technically, they used him as a true X wide receiver last year um, at multiple different points uh, throughout the season. Um, so Kyle Pitts... And Drake London, you have two of these guys that kind of move all over the place. They kind of have 
similar skill sets. So you have Kyle Pitts who can play legitimately like an X receiver for you. And Drake London, I think his best fit actually is as a big slot receiver where he's kind of like a hybrid slot slash like undersized tight end almost. It seems like even though he's not that big um, to play the tight end position, obviously, but you know, he's got a, a ton of size. He's very quick. He's got good yards after the catch ability, really good ball skills to go up and get it. So I found that very interesting that that was the route that the, that the uh, Falcons went to kind of get these big, massive hulking targets uh, for their quarterback here uh, with Marcus Murray, like you said. I, I think, you know, their plan was obviously here to just, you know, they got Ritter later in the draft, but they're setting this up for the next quarterback that they draft. Um, and I, th- I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year, but they're going to be in a good spot, I think, where they're going to have some nice weapons for whoever the next quarterback is for them moving forward. Now, for the uh, New York Jets, I-, I think this was a very, very good pick for them getting Garrett Wilson here. You know, it kind of just it- – it's Garrett Wilson is one of those wide receivers where he isn't necessarily great at everything, but – he is just very, very solid at every single aspect of playing wide receiver. You need a guy that can get yards after the catch. He's very solid at that. You need a good route runner. He's a good route runner, very good route runner, route runner, in fact. Uh, you need a guy that can take the top of the defense and, and threaten teams deep. He does have some deep speed. Um, he has the ability to get open underneath. He's got good hands. He can go up and get it, even though he's a little bit undersized. Like Garrett Wilson just fits the bill. I think he's very similar. Um, I don't know if he'll be quite as good as the guy I'm comparing, to, comparing him to, but I think he – kind of reminds me a lot of Stefan Diggs, who, again, jack of all trades, master of none type of number one wide receiver. And I think that's what the Jets hope that they're getting here uh, with Garrett Wilson. And, you know, like you said, Zach Wilson, he's getting put into a good spot here. They're kind of, they're kind of basically saying here um, that, you know, Zach Wilson, no excuses now. We got you an offensive line. Uh, we're putting you in the Shanahan system, which you ran in college. We've gotten you a ton of weapons here. You know, go out and prove that you're the guy here because it's not going to be for a lack of investment in terms of the supporting cast. And I think um, that's what the message here is for the Jets. Very good, very good offseason for them building this offense for Zach Wilson. And if Zach Wilson hits, watch out because this offense could be very dangerous, I think, um, over the next year or so. Um, and then, you know, Olave, I kind of talked about it a little bit, but obviously Michael Thomas has been healthy for them the last couple of years with the Saints. If they're both healthy in terms of Thomas and Olave, I think you have a very nice one-two punch there for the Saints. But I really want to talk about Jamison Williams going number 12 to the Lions because I look at this Lions team now and I actually think their offense is sneaky, sneaky good. Because uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, who they drafted last year, had a very nice rookie year. They got TJ Hawkinson. They signed uh, DJ Chark on a one-year deal in the offseason. Um, you know, they had DeAndre Swift as a, as a receiver out of the backfield. Like Jamison Williams, if he hits – I mean, this receiving core could be very, very good, I think. And they're and they're a young group as well. So the Lions, they're building up this team. They started off building up the trenches last year. Um, they built up the receiving core this year. Um, I, I think t- things are trending up for the Detroit Lions. They're well on their way the second year of this rebuild. I'm excited to see what they do. It's just a matter of the quarterback. Can they get that right at this point? Um Dotson at 16, I thought that was a reach. Obviously, I think a lot of people thought that was a reach. Obviously, they needed another wide receiver because all they got really is Terry McLaurin um, in that wide receiver room in terms of being an impact player for them to get, you know, to help out Carson Wentz. But they need another wide receiver. I, I would have gone a different direction. But, you know, Dotson, he's a solid player. Um, Traylon Burks, he's like the perfect fit for Tennessee because he's basically – they're going to plug him into what A.J. Brown did for them. Um, basically – you know, give him the ball on screens, give him the ball on deep crosses over the middle, get him on, give him the ball on the move, uh, put him in spots where he can get yards after the catch and do what he does best. So I, I think that's a perfect fit. He's basically liked, he's basically a clone of AJ Brown essentially anyways. So to get that guy at 18 after trading away AJ Brown with that pick, um, I, good business. I think that's a good solid move by the Titans there. Um, but you know, one last thing that I'll add here before we move on is that uh, the Packers, you talk about them tra- wanting to trade up for Burks. I thought it was interesting because, you know, I, I thought their Clay Walker selection at 22 was one of the worst in the drafts in terms of drafting a third-round talent at linebacker at 22nd overall, and there were a ton of really good linebackers in this class. Um, they, they went defense early here getting uh, Walker and Devontae White at 22 and 28, respectively. But it was interesting because they made the first major move on Friday 
on day two of the draft, moving up to get Christian Watson. And I think they kind of see him as filling that Marquez Valdez Scantling role for them as that deep draft for Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, Packers staying aggressive here. They gave up both of their second round picks to make that happen um, in the second round. So, uh, I, I just coincidentally happening in the division again with the Minnesota Vikings. So Minnesota Vikings make one of the worst trades of the draft, and then they make one of the best trades of the draft on day two. It's it, it, I, The Vikings draft is very interesting, which we're not going to have time to talk to, but um, very interesting strategy for the Packers here. I'm not sure if I quite understand what they were doing at that sort of things, but they had a nice draft, I thought, overall, adding some talent to their team. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, we talked about a lot of the crazy wide receiver activity, and we kind of knew that was going to be the case. Wide receiver has been a huge emphasis in the NFL's entire offseason. It seems like every other week there's some major storyline here involving uh, a a primetime wide receiver here. Um, But I think the last major storyline here before we get to our best and worst drafts um, for the 2022 class has to be about the quarterbacks here because there's a lot of intrigue about this quarterback class about not being nearly as good as last year. And that proved to be the case. And the NFL, I think, agreed with consensus here that this quarterback class is not very good because we only had one first round quarterback as the Pittsburgh Steelers selected Kenny Pickett. And a lot of the guys that were projected to go high in the draft, you look at Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, all those guys fall to the third round to the Atlanta Falcons, to uh, the Tennessee Titans and the Carolina Panthers, respectively. Uh, Sam Howell, um, it, it seemed like his last year in North Carolina really hurt his stock as he fell all the way to the fifth round uh, to the Washington Commanders. And then Carson Strong, somebody I thought had the best tape in this class, but obviously teams are, are really put off by his knee injury and, and that history there and what that could mean for his career as he goes undrafted and got picked up by the Philadelphia Eagles, which was a nice ad, I, I will say, for them. Um, what were your thoughts on this quarterback class and how things eventually did shake out after a ton of speculation about what would happen with these guys? Yeah, I mean, it certainly was surprising because you look at Kenny Pickett. I mean, you know, he goes, whatever, 20th overall, and a lot of people, I think, did have him going in round one, but then I don't think that people were ready to anticipate just the level of, you know, gap that would exist between drafting some of these quarterbacks. Now you had Pickett go um 20th overall, but then after that, it was like Desmond Ritter's the next guy off the board. Then after Desmond Ritter, it was kind of just the run on all the guys that a lot of people thought would go in, um you know, rounds late round one, even early round two. That just means, you know, Malik Willis and Matt Corral. And I think this was the draft where you had, really three quarterbacks that a lot of people liked, including Willis and Corral that went in round three. And then ultimately, you know, you look at Bailey Zappi, I thought going ahead of uh, Sam Howell is certainly a surprise. And I think there's something to kind of be said for Sam Howell's struggles is that I think some of it was just the fact that Sam didn't really blow anyone out of the water in 2021. But then I also think that the rest of it was just the fact that, I mean, he lost a lot of his supporting cast to the 2021 NFL draft. You're talking the running backs, Javante Williams and Michael Carter Jr. You're looking at the wide receivers and Daz Newsom and Diami Brown, which, you know, really certainly contributed to it. And then now I will say, I mean, when looking at, these QBs right now, the concept of who's in the best position to succeed 
really comes up. I think that, you know, Kenny Pickett, okay, cool. Ideal situation in Pittsburgh because Mike Tomlin, you know, for a fact, is going to run an incredibly tight ship. But then you look at a team such as Atlanta, for example. I mean, is Desmond Ritter really in a legitimate position to succeed? Or was he just more so of a late-round flyer? And then you look at Malik Willis. I think Malik is in an ideal situation here. You look at Matt Corral, who I actually feel sorry for because I actually really liked Matt Corral. Okay, I thought that he, you know, has really good pocket presence, pretty good footwork, you know, just stays so calm and composed, understands the RPO game for what it is at the college level, right? But I think, unfortunately, what you're dealing with in Matt Corral is, again, I think Matt Rule has just completely botched the QB situation about as bad as anyone can botch it in the NFL in the sense that it's like, okay, cool, you bring on Teddy Bridgewater. But then you go ahead and you trade Teddy Bridgewater a year later for basically Sam Darnold. But pick up Sam Darnold's fifth-year option, and you basically commit to him for two seasons, and then you bench Sam Darnold, and now you're playing P.J. Walker, and then P.J. Walker is kind of in and out of the lineup. And then now you're in these rumors about trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. Okay, that doesn't fall through. And now your rumored fallback plan is Baker Mayfield, which is not even a legitimate fallback plan because I think Baker Mayfield's shown us he's the type of quarterback that needs a really stable situation around him to win. And so, boom, what do you do? You land on Matt Corral. And so, ultimately, you know, all these quarterbacks, I think, again, you know, none of them really landed in crazy ideal situations. But, you know, for a guy like a Willis or a guy like Pickett, there is enough there. And I will say this, I mean, for the Washington Commanders here, you know, I understand that they made an investment in Carson Wentz this offseason. But ultimately, you know, I think when you really look at it, like, and I was one of the ones saying this last offseason, I said, hey, maybe, just maybe, a change of scenery could possibly help Carson Wentz reuniting him with his old buddy and, Frank Reich with the Indianapolis Colts clearly didn't make that big of a difference, which is why the Colts went ahead and shipped him out to Washington and then basically admitted it was a mistake. So when you look at a player like a Sam Howell, you know, I think that there's going to be a chance for Sam to play at some point over the next couple of years to kind of get his shot to prove that, hey, maybe I do belong in the NFL. But yeah, slipping to the fifth round, I think spoke more about Sam's inability to take over and be the guy at UNC when Mac Brown really relied on him more than anything. Um, then it is just about draft stock and expectations. Yeah, I think you bringing up the supporting cast and the right situations here is fascinating because I think situation is going to be very critical for all these quarterbacks. Now, Kenny Pickett uh, going first round to the Steelers. You know, I was very surprised. I thought this was for sure going to be Malik Willis um, because all offseason last year, everyone knew that the Pittsburgh Steelers were going to pick Najee Harris running back with their first round pick. Like that was not, they did not try to hide that whatsoever. And I wonder if they were doing that. It's kind of like this 3D chess move where they feel like they can use that against everybody now because they did not hide the fact that they were going uh, running back Najee Harris there last year. And they're going to pump up Malik Willis so much to make everyone think they're going to get this guy. They love, they love Malik Willis. And then turns out we never had any interest in Malik Willis along. We wanted the local kid and Kenny Pickett. Uh, very, very fascinating process there for the Steelers. Um, and Kenny Pickett, you know, I, this is something I don't know if it's going to work out for him. Certainly, I think he's in probably the best situation. You talk about the Steelers being as rock solid as an organization as they get. I mean, they... They are as they are literally like the gold standard here. And that's kind of like it goes with the, the helmet, I guess, and the, and, the, and the colors of their other of their team. But they are the gold standard in the NFL in terms of how their front office operates, in terms of stability long term. Um, they've only had three head coaches since like 1970. Like they have a they have a really nice foundation there of how to you know run a team from the front office and ownership on down. Um, and then you look at the talent on the roster, you have Chase Claypool there, you have Deontay Johnson there, who had a nice year for them last year. 
They go out and draft George Pickens in the second round of this year's draft and Calvin Austin in the fourth round. So they got some weapons here. They got some exciting talent. They drafted Najee Harris last year. They've improved the offensive line a little bit in free agency. They didn't really do anything to invest in the draft. They got some young guys they hope develop. But I think Kenny Pickett's going to a good spot. It's just a matter of, you know, what is Kenny Pickett's ceiling here at the next level? Because you look at Kenny Pickett, you know, he's an average athlete for NFL standards. He doesn't have a big arm. Um, he's a guy that has small hands, which is obviously problematic playing in cold weather um, in Pittsburgh and the AFC North there. So how is that going to factor into things? Um, Kenny Pickett, he's a one-year wonder in terms of what he did in college. He was a starter for, what, like four or five years and didn't break out until that last one. And then you look at some of the flaws in his game, the lack of pocket awareness, I think, is an issue. Um, that could be a problem at a problem early on with their offensive line. Um, his tendency to hold on to the ball, like all of these things are worrisome here. So it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, Kenny Pickett goes in the first round here and then we don't see a quarterback all the way to the third round. So it leads me to believe that the P- Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, they were picking quarterback no matter what. And I don't know if they just, I mean, they did a nice job of with that smoke screen of making sure that teams thought that Malik Willis was the guy for them. But I'm not sure if they read the board here properly in terms of reading the value of where these quarterbacks were at and where the rest of the NFL had these quarterbacks. Because I don't think Kenny Pickett, I don't think many NFL teams had Kenny Pickett that further away from all the other guys in this draft class, which leads me to believe that the Steelers, you know, they, they, they were desperate for a quarterback. And I think they reached for one here in Kenny Pickett. Now, um, Ritter, Willis, and Corral, I think those are all interesting situations. Willis, I think he's going to a situation where, he doesn't have to play, which I think is ideal for him. You know, let him sit on the bench for a year or two um, behind Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill, I mean, he's he's not great, but he's he's perfectly fine. He's a league average starting quarterback. He's in that, you know, 12 to 15 range of quarterbacks where you know what you're getting out of him. He's in a good system for um, his skill set. You know, Derrick Henry's healthy next year. They're going to have a good running game. Uh, they're going to be able to pound the ball. You know, their weapons took a little bit of decline here with A.J. Brown out the door now. But, you know, Sherlon Burks can be 90% of A.J. Brown. That's still – that's what they need in terms of having that that go-to weapon in the passing game for Ryan Tannehill to throw to. So, you know, Malik Willis, I think he's going to a solid spot. I'm not sure what the plan is for Ritter in Atlanta because, you know, Ritter is kind of like the opposite, I think, of what Atlanta should have gone with. They should have gone with him, Malik Willis because Willis is such a process – project in terms of hanging all these tools Ritter is the guy that you bring him in and you let him play right away I mean he was probably the most pro ready quarterback in this class and you know the Falcons are in a situation where they should have a rookie quarterback playing right away because they should be sitting whatever quarterback they drafted in this draft because that that roster is just abysmal and I'm not sure you're going to get much from a rookie quarterback going in there and starting right away and they would have been better off, you know, drafting Malik Willis, seeing what Marcus Mariota can do with the job this year, and then going from there. But, I mean, who knows? And the Carolina Panthers, you know, they were in talks to, you know, trade for Baker Mayfield, but ultimately I think it just came down to the Browns were not willing to eat that salary, which I think was kind of what held that deal up. You know, we heard that there's been a lot of rumors that the Carolina Panthers weren't high on Baker Mayfield whatsoever from their front office down to their coaching staff. So I wonder if that went into it as well, where the Panthers just weren't that into Baker Mayfield. They were willing to give up, you know, a little bit of something um, to get a guy like him in, but I'm not sure if they were really that sold on him. I'm, I am, before we move on to our best drafts and worst drafts here, you say to end this podcast, I will say I am intrigued by Carson Strong going to the Eagles here because, you know, the Eagles, they have been one of the better organizations, the most forward thinking organization in terms of, uh, investing in quarterbacks and making sure they always have that spot filled up um, with, you know, someone that can play, you know, they were the team that um, had the foresight to draft Jalen Hurts in the second round, um, knowing that Carson Wentz, they just gave him this big deal, but knowing that also that things could eventually fall apart for Carson Wentz went, which did happen. Um, you know, they have a first round pick next year to potentially trade up for quarterback an extra first round pick, I should say, and Carson Strong is just another dart throw for them. Um, again, he's he's like the complete opposite of what Jalen Hurts gives you in terms of Jalen Hurts being this runner and this great athlete that you can do a lot in the run game with. You know, they have Gardner Minshew here who they traded a late day three pick for uh, last year. So 
the Eagles quarterback room is actually looking pretty interesting here. And it's all about, you know, Jalen Hurts, you know, with all these guys competing behind you, what can you do for us this year? So I think that's a very interesting. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, whatsoever. Carson Strong actually proves to be to actually eventually Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts in terms of Jalen Hurts not living up to what the Eagles want him to do. Carson Strong comes in here and plays well enough to get a chance down the road here. It wouldn't surprise me whatsoever because I think barring the knee injury, Carson Strong had the best chance of being a starting quarterback in this draft class, but that knee is just very worrisome, I think, for a lot of NFL teams. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, some of the major storylines in this draft. You know, we talked about the wide receiver. We talked about all the stuff shaking up the top 10. And then of course these quarterbacks here. Now it's time to wrap up this episode and just talk about um, some of the drafts here that really defined, I think this class right now, some of the be best drafts that we're looking at here um, going forward and some of the worst drafts here. So you say, it, I'll start with you. What were your three selections for the best drafts? You know, obviously we're only a week outside the draft here, but um, so it's going to take some time to fully evaluate these drafts, but what are your three choices? If you had to make these picks right now, who do you think had the best weekend overall um, for the 2022 NFL draft? Yeah, I would definitely say number one is the Baltimore Ravens. You look at the building blocks that they got in round one with Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Lindenbaum. I mean, that's just more than a solid overhaul there. And then number two, I would say the New York Jets, you know, with the three first round picks, obviously you get two blue chip building blocks and Sauce Gardner, the cornerback from Cincinnati, as well as then you get Jermaine Johnson late in round one and then wide receiver Garrett Wilson, who I also heavily touched on. And I think, you know, number three overall would just be, I think the um, Bears going ahead and kind of overhauling the secondary with those two picks. I know that a lot of people, myself included, are saying, okay, well, that's really one of those, you know, the pick of Kyler Gordon, I understand, but then also the Jaquan Brisker prick I thought was a bit polarizing, but then also, you know, when you are able to basically get your secondary that much help on day two and it's going to be two players on four-year deals moving forward I think that that's a pretty solid overhaul so now what does that mean for Chicago moving forward that defense really should not be that big of a priority and that next offseason should be all about offense and building around fields once again Yeah, I, I'm in total agreement here with the Baltimore Ravens I think the Ravens I I they're the best front office at playing the draft game. Like every single year, even when the picks don't work out, they just play the game right. They know what they're doing. Um, it, it, they, they're just, whether it's Ozzie Newsome running that team for such a long time or, you know, everything that everyone they have now running the ship uh, with, I, I can't say enough good things for what the Baltimore Ravens did. First of all, letting Kyle Hampton, fall to you at 14 Kyle Hamilton I, I think he's a top five prospect in the strats when you take positional value out of it here Hamilton he's gonna join this Baltimore Ravens secondary now and I mean you just look at this secondary I'm pulling it up right here um the depth chart is actually absolutely insane um you look at the cornerback position you know they're getting Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey back so they're two starting corners who were out for most of last year they get those guys back um, they signed Marcus Williams and free agency to a big contract. They already had Chuck Clark, who's been a solid, strong safety for a while here for this Ravens defense. And then they, you add Cal Hamilton to this, to this unit. I mean, there is just a ton to like about the secondary here. And that's how they usually have built their defenses. They really like to emphasize um, the secondary and they're just adding another talented player here. And then we talk about the Hollywood Brown trade later on in the strats here getting a 23rd selection they ended up trading down to get an additional fourth round pick uh to all the way down to 25 and with that pick they get 
arguably, I mean, I don't think it's even arguably, but the best center prospect here in this draft in Tyler Linderbaum, who's going to come in, plug in right away, start for them. I know Linderbaum's not the greatest scheme fit for them because I think his most ideal scheme fit is in an outside zone scheme where he can get on the move and use his athleticism. He's not the best fit in a power gap scheme. But I, I think it kind of shows that the, the Ravens, you know, they have shown a willingness to work around the talent that they have on offense to um, make it work. You know, they were willing to do that with Lamar Jackson. They basically scrapped their entire offense with Joe Flacco. They drafted Lamar Jackson to build this scheme around the around Lamar. And we saw how successful that was. I think they're going to incorporate Tyler Linderbaum's athleticism in the run game a ton. Linderbaum's solid in pass pro. Like you get the best safety in the draft. You get the best center in the draft on day one. That's just great stuff right there. On day two, then this they get a guy that should have been a first rounder had it not been for an Achilles injury and David Ojabo. He falls right into their lap. Obviously, their defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, worked with David Ojabo when he was defensive coordinator for Michigan last year. So you have that connection there with Ojabo. He comes in and he's not going to probably play a lot in year one, but when you get to year two, year three, and you you look at the Ravens and their track record of developing these edge rushers and getting the most out of these guys, you know, Odafe Owe was a nice ad for them last year in the first round. You add David Ojabo to the, to the mix here. You have Tyus Bowser on a contract, Joe Ferguson, you know, are solid role players as well. Like this edge group, and this is what the Ravens do, man. They, they draft these edge rushers, they develop them, they get the most out of them. And they just keep on plugging and playing these guys. And they have a potential here to build a really nasty defense with these, you know, two building blocks here. And then in the third round, they just continue to add to it. Like Travis Jones falls in the third round. I mocked Travis Jones to them in the first round when I did my final mock draft. To get that guy in the third round of 76 overall, I mean, it's ridiculous. Travis Jones, they love these nose those tackles that can eat space and, and rush the passer a little bit. That's what Travis Jones provides. So knocking it out of the park with their first four selections here on day three. I like some of the guys that they added here in terms of Jalen Armour Davis, Alabama quarterback, Charlie Kolar is like a perfect fit for what they want to do, because I think they're going to be using a lot of 12 and 13 personnel, with lots of tight ends and fullbacks on the field. And Kolar can be that receiving tight end for them um, opposite Mark Andrews which gives them a ton of options here. You know, they've invested a lot of draft picks at wide receiver the last few years. So, you know, they have guys like Rashad Bateman, Devin DuVernay that can step up for them and see what they can have there. So building up that tight end core a little bit, like there is a ton to like about what the Ravens did in this draft. I think they knocked it out of the park. They had the best weekend, in my opinion, um, amongst all NFL teams, but not too far behind them is the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I thought they killed it as well in the strats. You know, they trade away Tyreek Hill, and the thinking was that you either invest that first round, extra first round pick and all these other draft picks you got for Tyree Kill into moving up to get his replacement, or you build up the rest of the roster around Patrick Mahomes and make sure that you have a more cohesive, more deep um, team moving forward, a more complete team, I should say, that you know can go up against the contenders in the AFC, um, where you're not just relying on Patrick Mahomes being amazing with Tyree Kill and making you know clutch plays down the stretch here. You know, you have a better team to support Patrick Mahomes, um, whether it be on the defense side of the ball, whether it be on the offensive line, or whether it be having a variety of different receivers to work with, not just one guy to work with. And, you know, at first they trade up for Trent McDuffie in the first round, getting him at 21 overall. Trent McDuffie, I think he's a day one starter, whether it's in the slot and the outside, I think he's a nice fit for what they want to do. And then George Karloftis falls to them at 30th overall. I mean, that's an absolute steal. Karloftis, I had a mid-first rank round, first round grade on him. I think he's a better prospect than Trayvon Walker was, and they get him at 30th overall. I mean, masterclass right there from the Chiefs, letting him fall to you. Um, and, and day two of the draft, Sky Moore and him in the second round, training down to do that as well. He's going to fill in right away as a slot receiver for them. He can play a little bit on the outside, but he's a natural separator. He's a good fit for Andy Reid's system. Um, I, I really like that selection right there. He's going to be pro-ready right away. Brian Cook, I think he can start right away at safety in the second round. Leo Chanel added to that linebacker depth. I think he's a stud run defender for them right away. And then on day three, you get Darren Kennard, who I wasn't the biggest fan of, but I think he's a good fit for what they want to do on offense. He's a big mauler in the run game. Um, you can play him at guard or right tackle. I think he could fit just fine at either spot. Getting him in the fifth round, I think that was solid value right there. So the Chiefs doing a fantastic job. 
And we talked about the Philadelphia Eagles earlier. I thought they were big winners as well. You get Jordan Davis, who's kind of going to be the replacement uh, or the long-term defensive tackle for them um, for, you know, how Roseman loves, loves building up uh, the defensive line. And, you know, quite honestly, he's Jordan Davis can come in here. He's going to be a rotation guy while he develops his pass rushing moves right away. Um, They have the depth there to allow that to happen. You look at, you know, right here, Fletcher Cox, he's going to be the long-term replacement for him. They have Javon Hargrave going to the final year of his contract. They drafted Milton Williams last year, who had a nice rookie here. You know, Davis continues to add to that defensive line. And then they add Adrian Brown, wide receiver, a true number one for Jalen Hurts to work with here. Love what they did there. And then on day two, uh, continuing to add to this unit here, when you can look at Cam Jurgens, and then who's going to be the long-term replacement, hopefully, to Jason Kelsey. And then Kobe Dean falls in the third round, which was one of the biggest steals of this draft. So they get arguably the best linebacker in this draft. They get arguably the best defensive tackle in this draft. And they get a true number one wide receiver. Great job by Howie Roseman and the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, uh, we talk about the losers of this draft. For me, it has to be the New Orleans Saints. Um, Again, you know, this is one of those things where it's all about what you value here. And I'm someone that values um, draft capital and process a, a ton in terms of, you know, how to build a sustainable roster. But here is the problem here for the Saints. You know, the Saints had already get an extra first round pick. They wanted to get an extra first round pick so that they could uh, essentially fill two needs with a wide receiver and offensive tackle. They got both of them what they needed. That's all well and good. But you look at what they gave up to get that extra first round pick to get Chris Olave. They essentially, for Chris Olave, the rights to draft Chris Olave, they gave up a future first round pick. They gave up a future second round pick. They gave up two third round picks this year and they didn't really get much in return. They basically gave up the 16th pick as well, which is what they got for a future one and a future two. Like they gave up a ton to get Chris Olave, who I don't think is that great of a prospect he's a good prospect i don't know if he's that great um so i didn't love that i didn't love taking trevor penning at 19 i know he fits the left tackle need for them but i think i'm very low on trevor penning i think he's a working process and and he's a working process to be kindly like i think he his entire draft says basically that he's athletic and he plays like a dick like that's that's it like he's not a good tackle (laughs) he's not ready to play right away and so I, I questioned their process there and that, and then the, after that, like, I wasn't really impressed with anything else they really did. Like I, I was not a big fan of the saints and what they did in these strats, the Patriots, you know, they're, they're kind of infamous here for the strat. They reach for, I love Cole strange. Let, let me be clear. I love Cole strange, but they, they reach for him in, in round one. They reach for Tyquan Thornton in round two. They drafted two running backs in this draft when they have one of the deepest running back rooms in the league. Um, you know, they had the chance to draft Sam Howell or Carson Strong in the fourth round. Instead, they take um, Zappi, uh, you know, out of Western Kentucky. Like, I, did, I didn't like what the Patriots did very much in this draft. Um, and then the Jaguars, man. Like, ugh. I mean, what can you say about the Jaguars other than negative things? Like, to not draft a single wide receiver for Trevor Lawrence in this draft was just not – I know they invested heavily in wide receiver but in this offseason, but – not not a great move there, I think, in my opinion. I would have added more talent to that wide receiver room. Um, you know, they'd reach on tra- Trayvon Walker in the first round. Um, they draft two line. They trade up back into the first round to get um, linebacker here. I don't know why the, the name's escaping me, but, um, yeah, linebacker Devin Lloyd. They trade up to get him in the first round, which I'm not a fan of trading up for linebackers in the first round, even though Lloyd's a good prospect. I I don't think that's a great process there. They draft, they draft Chad Muma later on the, in the second round, or in the third round, I should say, after already paying Foye Olukun uh, in free agency. So, you know, what's the plan there? Are they going to be playing through linebackers at the same time? Like, I don't, I don't get that whatsoever. Um, and then Luke Fortner, they got him in the third round. You know, I thought that was a little bit early for him. Like, I, I just did not like this draft whatsoever for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think they did the exact opposite of what they should have been doing. Um, and I think it's going to bite them because they have a talented prospect here in Trevor Lawrence to build around. And I, I just don't think they did enough here, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of me, I mean, losers for the draft, right? You, you hit on a lot of the major ones, but I will say, I think, you know, New Orleans certainly a team that loves to wheel and deal, but I would consider them a heavy loser just because, again, their biggest need this offseason was quarterback. I know that there were selections regarding, or I'm sorry, questions regarding what Michael Thomas's future with the team would look like. You compound that with Alvin Kamara getting older, Sean Payton's no longer there. So it doesn't really make sense for these saints to kind of go ahead and do what they did. But, you know, ultimately I think another team that I don't necessarily think had a draft that blew anyone out of the water by any means would be the Indianapolis Colts. You know, it's interesting because, all right, cool. They go ahead and they land a guy like Alec Pierce. But then again, you know, this team, and I think this is becoming a common theme with Chris Ballard is the fact that they don't really invest highly into some first round picks. You know, look at the first round picks this year. I mean, Indianapolis's I think best first round pick is actually going to be Quiddy Pay in the Chris Ballard era. But ultimately, you know, it's a team that just I don't think did enough to really warrant giving Matt Ryan or even Jonathan Taylor, the running back, significant help. Yeah, I will say this about the Colts, though. I think for not having a first-round pick, I think they actually did a decent job of uh, filling out their needs um, and, you know, getting some nice players in here. Now, I'm not as huge of a fan on Jelani Woods in the third round. I think, I think you know, he's getting a lot of credit for being the athlete, a great testing athlete, but it just did not show up on film whatsoever. Um, Alec Pierce, I think that's a little bit early for where I would have taken him. In the second round, I thought he was more of a third-round guy, but you know, Nick Cross was one of my dudes in this class at safety. They get him in this draft. Um, Bernard Raymond in the third round, I think that's a great get for him. I think that was, you know, I mean, that's like perfect value for Bernard Raymond because I think he's someone that can start right away. He will take some time as a pass protector, but he's going to add to that offensive line and help him run games. So I did like some of the things that the Indianapolis Colts did. I, I don't think it, it's mind-blowing or any, anything like that, but – um, yeah, certainly Woods and Pierce were definitely reaches on day two of the draft. I will say that for sure. Um, but, you know, looking at this thing here, you say, I think it's a good time to wrap it up for us here um, for this episode of the Pistol Bulls podcast. Obviously, we've gone through a ton, and there's certainly a lot more we could have talked about here. There are just a ton of storylines that we just couldn't get to for this NFL draft. And, if you know, if there are teams that we left out to talk about, I mean, there's only so much we can talk about here in an hour's worth of time, but you know, it is what it is. I thought it was a lot of fun for this episode today. And for our listeners, if you had a lot of fun listening to us today, talk about and recapping this 22 NFL draft, make sure to like rate review and subscribe to us on all podcasting platforms. We really appreciate the support. Um, and then make sure to follow us on social media at picture polls on Twitter. You say, where can the listeners find you on Twitter and find your work at the bear report? Yeah, guys, you can find me on Twitter at Usaid Colshaw. Check out my work on the Bear Report. Going to be some off-season content coming up despite the off-season slowing down. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to give Usaid a follow. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. You can find my work on the Bear Report. Uh, Zach and I are planning on doing some film work for the Bears rookie class on YouTube, so make sure to subscribe to the Bear Report YouTube channel and check that out as well. You know, it was a fun, crazy draft uh, weekend, Bears fans. Now that we've had some time to process it, um, I, I think we're starting to get a clearer picture of, you know, what this Bears team is looking like going into this season, what the NFL as a whole is looking like going into the season. It's going to be a lot of fun, even though we're getting to the dead time of the offseason, that there's still going to be some, some things to break down here about this draft moving forward, which, which we will be doing over the next upcoming episode. So before that happens, Bears fans, though, uh, have a great day and bear down. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.